Well, thank you all again for being here. We're going to continue, actually, in the, in the book of Romans. Uh, Dawson and I talked about it, and I felt like it would be a good idea to, instead of doing something different for Advent, is to go back and to show everyone, us all together, um, answer the question that St. Anselm asked, why the God-man, cur Deus homo? What is the reason that Jesus came? We, we love Christmas time. It's sentimental. Uh, some of you have great memories of Christmas. Others perhaps not so great. But it is a joyous time of the year and a meaningful time. I think we forget why Jesus came in the first place. And so we're going to go through uh, some of these things today quickly. And, of course, if you have any questions, I hope that you'll uh, come and talk to Dawson or I. The miracle of Christmas is not that Jesus was born of a virgin, although He was. The miracle of Christmas is that He was born at all. The very fact that Jesus was born is why we baptized Leo this morning, to mark Him as one of God's people, to do something on His behalf before He can ever do anything on His own. To deal with the problem of sin and misery. You say, oh boy, this is a downer. You know, Christmas time, we're supposed to be talking about chorus bells and all that stuff. And, and uh, I'm, I'm all in favor of those things. I love Christmas. It's always been a special time in our family. But we've got to remember... Why? Why did we baptize Leo? And why do we light candles and sing these hymns about the coming of the great king? Michael Williams is a professor at Covenant Seminary. In fact, Dawson had some classes with him, and a remarkable scholar. And every year I, I bring out this quote that Michael Williams uh, has just to remind us of something. Listen. The general trajectory of relationship between God and His people is from heaven to earth, rather than from earth to heaven. This is the flow of movement and energy, the direction of travel that we see in all of Scripture. The biblical hope is not one of man going to God. It is not the story of the ascent of man but rather it is the story of God coming to man in man's createdness, redeeming both man and the creation. Unlike other religions, every religion, in fact even parts of Christianity, sadly, have been made to be all about us reaching up to God and somehow... Uh, making ourselves uh, presentable to Him. Getting His favor. How, what do I have to do? Every religion talks about this. What do I have to do for me to get to God? Only historic biblical Christianity says the opposite. We can't do anything for ourselves, so God comes down and does something for us, and He does it simply out of love. Just because He loves us. 
You say, why does he love us? I don't, you know, I don't know about you. I don't know why he loves me. I know he should because I'm such an upstanding person, but uh, that's supposed to be funny. All right, we'll move on. Why does he love us? What happened that he had to come down himself and remedy our situation, something we cannot do for ourselves? So we're going to look again at the cosmic catastrophe. So over the next four weeks, Dawson and I are going to go back and forth over this. We're going to talk today about a cosmic catastrophe. The reason that we're here talking about any of these things is something that happened long, long ago. Next week, we'll talk about an ancient promise that was made at the very beginning of your Bible, chapter 3 of Genesis. Then the, th- the third week, we'll talk about God's remedy for that problem that we have and fulfillment of the promise that he made. And then last week, I'll talk about Adam versus Adam, the two Adams. All this comes from Romans, so you can see that on every page of your Bible answers the question, Cur Deus Homo, why the God-man? Why did he come? So let's read the text. It's in your bulletin. We'll do it quickly here. And, and this is from Romans 1.18. I've referred to it throughout the series in Romans and because it is so pivotal. Hear God's word. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God. But they would not worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming themselves to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God gave them over to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the the created things rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with one another. And men, instead of normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. 
Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers. Haters of God, insolent and proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. And yet, they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. This is the word of the Lord. You know, these are hard words. I don't like uh, Dawson asked me, how was it going back to Romans 1? Well, wasn't that great? Because these are hard words. And they seem to, to uh, come, come at human beings from so many angles. And we think, I'm not like that. I'm not that person. Well, if that's true then why in the world, if that's true, if I'm not like that person, if there's no, no correspondence between me and the, and the description of human beings that he has described, then why in the world would we bother worshiping him? We all know innately inside ourselves, we know something's wrong. We know that it's wrong. And we love to uh, disseminate to point the finger, to shift blame, to do all the things that we do as human beings. So we'll look very quickly here this morning. First, at God's anger, something that troubles, uh, troubles me. I'm sure it troubles you as well. Secondly, God's image. And then thirdly, God's image bearers. And finally, Jesus, the true image of God, the true uh, God-man. We covered this early in our talk about Romans. Why is God angry? What's He upset about? And the word for angry is that He's fuming mad. He's not just a little ticked off. He is really angry. And why is He angry? He created a world that was good. It wasn't perfect. It was not some kind of an idyllic creation. He made a world perfectly. There's a difference between a perfect world and a world that was made perfectly. In the perfectly made world, He gave mankind everything they needed to not only worship Him, but to thrive and populate the earth and do good to one another. There are a lot of questions. Science brings up questions and and all of that, and I hope you'll ask us about them. You know, there's we, we tend to mythologize the Scriptures. We read something like Genesis 1 and 2, and we turn it into a fairy tale, a cartoon. And that's not. It's, it's deep and rich Hebrew poetry that is saying something that will be meaningful for billions of years, no matter what we find out in science. It's not answering scientific questions. It's answering the why. Why there was a Genesis 4 and a Genesis 5, and a Genesis 6. Chapter 3 of Genesis tells us why the rest of the Bible is written. Why we baptize our babies. Why we come to church and worship the great God who saved us from a cosmic catastrophe. You say, well, you can't prove that. Well, I can't prove it. 
but God has proved it. Listen to what he says. This is why he's angry. He's angry at wickedness and the suppression of truth. Every one of us has been born with an analysis or something wrong. There are people that struggle with uh, their, their mental conditions and things like that. But normal people, everyone knows something's just not right. Three border patrols kill themselves. People are uh, immigrating from countries and uh, th- there's cruelty and hatred and poverty that we can't even imagine over here on the west side of El Paso. And God is looking at the whole scope, the entire picture That's not what He made. And I've told you repeatedly in Romans, we made the world that way, and it's about time that human beings got honest about it and said, well, why did God make the world this way? He didn't. We did that. We invented AK-47s. We empowered people like Vladimir Putin. We've done this throughout our lives and history of mankind. And human beings need to step back and say, no, He gave us a good world. And what we've done with it is evil and wicked. And that can go to so many levels that just don't, we don't have time to talk about it. But look at verses 20, 18, 19, 20, 21. These verses, He talks about what is it that God's upset? Why is the world the way it is? He gave us an external witness, nature, you can look out and you can see the earth, the, the, the earth beneath us, the sky above us, the planets, the immensity, that kind of a thing. I don't know that animals go out to the edge of a, a mesa out here on the, on the desert and look up and just worship God because, wow, look at all that. I don't know that animals do that, but human beings do. I don't care where you go. Every human being has looked up and said, My, th- there's an eternal power. There's something. Why? Because we were built that way. You cannot get away with it. You can't suppress it, but that's what the verse says. Wicked people suppress the truth by their wickedness. They disregard the evidence that's there in the, in the, in the very created order of things. This external witness. And we also have an internal witness. This is knowledge. A kind of knowledge that only human beings have. An internal witness of His invisible qualities and His eternal and power of divine nature. You can't look out there and say, well, this just popped out of nowhere. Why? Because there's design, there's purpose, there's meaning in everything we do. And everything we look at, there is we know innately. You cannot deny it. Nobody can. Even a rock-hard atheist will soften a little bit and say, well, you know, there's more we don't understand and all of that. We know internally that there's a designer. We know that it took power to make this universe. We exert power, so we know that it exists. And we know that it must have taken a supreme power to create this world and to create us, for goodness sake. I mean, this little guy, this little Leo back there, he's a, he is an absolute, he is a witness against the hatred of atheism and agnosticism. He just, there's a little life, he doesn't know beans from apple, he only knows his mom and dad. 
He's a witness. Because we know. We know that He's created in the image of God. We know that we are created. We know we suppress that knowledge. There's an external and internal witness that you and I as human beings cannot get away from. You don't need Christianity to figure this out. And he ends these verses with saying, people are without an excuse. You're not going to be able to pop in to heaven one day and you know, you're there with St. Peter and he's got the books open and he's doing all these things. That's you know, what he does. And he's got a, a quill pen you know, with a feather that's extra long and he's writing and, and you're going to tell St. Peter, of course, this is bad theology. You all understand that. I could get in a lot of trouble for talking like this. And you're going to tell the Apostle Peter, I didn't have enough information well he's just going to say no excuse atheism folks is not possible true unadulterated atheism is simply not possible and agnosticism saying we don't know we don't have enough information I'm not sure I don't know I don't know what to do is not an excuse So God has a right to be angry because we came in, He created us, He perfectly made us. We were not perfect, but He perfectly made us. He endowed us with His image so that we could care for His creation and make it flourish. Make other people's lives flourish instead of being a drag on people and bringing them down and being cruel to them. We'll talk about that in a moment. He created us to do good. But in Genesis 3, we exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And that's what the story of the serpent and the fruit and Adam and Eve, the whole story, it's, it's rigorously beautiful. I don't know how else to put it. You just read it and you go, my God, this is amazing. Because he's telling us what happened. We exchanged the truth of God for the lie of the serpent. And people want to argue, well, was it a really a snake? Was it a man of body? Did a, you know, snakes don't have vocal cords. I know I used to collect snakes. I know they can't talk. But we'll go into all these gyrations, intellectual gyrations, when that isn't what the text is even talking about. The text is saying the serpent, the Nahesh, Satan himself, was speaking to them and they chose with their own free will to choose Him rather than God. And they exchanged the truth that God had told them for a lie and they worshipped and served the creation rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. And folks, until we own that, you're just going to rattle around inside your misery. The way out, the way to the light is to say, I am guilty. I need help. I have shame that I need. Nothing's going to cleanse that shame. I, there's not enough psychiatrists and psychoanalysts in the world. There's not enough drugs. There's not enough Zoloft and Lipitor. No, that's a different drug. That's for high blood pressure. Uh, cholesterol. So I'm on all these things, so I know. Think about it. We know it's rattling around in there all the time. It just got us. Look at 21 and following. God's image. So God's angry, but it's not anger like our anger, filled up with greed and all the other junk and hatred and maliciousness and all that. No, he's angry, but his anger is pure and righteous because it would be like somebody coming into your house and just 
destroying your children, doing horrible things you want to mention, doing it right in front of your eyes, and then looking at you with impudence and saying, God, do something about that. What would you do? You're a human being, a flawed human being, and we would say, I'm angry. This is not right. There's righteous indignation, and the only one in the whole creation that has righteous indignation is God Himself. We all have ours mixed up with other motives. Look at His image. This talk about idolatry. Idolatry, I've told you all for years, 20 years now. Not little statues. That's not the kind of idolatry He's talking about. He's talking about something that you bring into your life, that you bring up to a level that it's it's comparable with God. You're looking at that thing and you're saying, I'll I'll serve God, but I've got to have this too. Also this. And that's what he's talking about. They traded and exchanged the majesty of God for a lie. None of us are going to take anything to the grave with us. You heard about that Texan, the rich Texan that died, and he wanted to be buried in his Cadillac. He had a Cadillac with the big longhorn in the front, and he, he wanted all his money, cash, put in the, in the Cadillac. He wanted to be buried in the Cadillac. So they had to dig a big hole in the they had the funeral, and the funeral guys were there to cover up the hole, and they're letting the Cadillac down into the ground. And the one guy said to the other guy, he says, look at that, that's really living. That's how nutty we are. Oh, that's really living. You're dropping him into the ground, you numb skull. We refuse to worship or give thanks this is not a new thing, folks. This is not 21, 21st century, even though Bart Simpson put this all together in his prayer. Over the meal, he made famous his prayer over the meal. God, we bought all this stuff ourselves. So thanks for nothing. That's the age of this kind of hypocrisy. Darkened mind, foolish ideas about God, dark and confused, self-delusion, distorted thinking. We're not thinking straight. We think we are, and that very thought is distorted. We don't realize that something has happened not only to our soul, but to our mind. Instead of worshiping God, we, we worship created things. Look, I have a wallet. It's in my backpack. And there's money in that wallet. More than you have. Because I'm a preacher and we have lots of money. We have airplanes and gold bars. That's why we have a vault back here. Dawson and I are stashing our gold bars back there in the vault. Look what money does to us. Look what beauty and looks and and uh, I mean, you name it, they're just too many to name. And we think, man, if I lose that, I'm just not going to be okay anymore. Idolatry. Instead of worshiping God, they worship the created things. So he gave them over. Uh, it's an interesting word. It's uh, translated in, in the, the NLT, I think it's translated abandoned. But it means that he gave them all. He gave them what they wanted, he gave them what they wanted. Humanity got what it wanted. The garden, the consequences of the garden, we got what we wanted. 
We wanted to exchange God for a lie that we could make ourselves. In other words, you hear people today in our day saying, well, you know, everybody can believe in God, and God is just whatever I want Him to be. There you are. The definition of idolatry. God is just whatever you want Him to be. Somebody needs to inform Him of that. Oh, by the way, you're just whatever I want you to be. Do you see the delusion? Do you see the darkening of the mind? We have exchanged God for a lie. And then look at 26 through 28. God's image bearers. I love when we baptize a baby. We don't baptize the baby so that they will be saved. I don't know when God's going to save Leo. I pray it was right now. In fact, if my theology is consistent, I believe that he knew Leo before he was born. Which is a great comfort to me. Should be a great comfort to you as well. Otherwise, you're on your own. And you better make some good choices, and you better not make any mistakes, and you better not sin, because how are you going to fix it? We could go on and on and on. Why the world is the way it is. Look at 26 through 28, the God's image bears. The only thing that God ever said about humanity, I told you this at the beginning of our study of Romans, the only thing He said to characterize humanity as a whole is, let us make man in our image, to be like us, to reign over the fish and wild animals. So God created human beings in the image of God, male and female. And he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Now, we live in an age where, uh, you know, there's all this stuff about gender, uh, uh, gay and gay marriage and, and transgenderism and gender confusion. And we think... That, oh my God, this is the end. This is the worst sin. And we can't let this go. We've got to stop this. Well, that's not the point. God didn't just pick out of uh, the sky this one sin of gender, uh, gender confusion or, or mishandling our gender and how we have sex with one another. He didn't pick that one out and say, here's the cause of all our ills. What he's saying is that the first thing, when he gave us over to our desires, the first thing we did is attack the only thing that he ever said about men. Male and female. And so we went right at it hard from the beginning to distort it. There may be many reasons why people are, there's gender dysphoria, there's all kinds of things that go on. But for us as Christians to stand back and point at one sin and say, oh, this is terrible, this is the worst thing. No, it's not. I wish people that struggled with same-sex attraction or gendered confusion would come to church. For goodness sakes, where are they going to find out that they are beloved by God? That He made them in His image. And that there's forgiveness. And if you think as a heterosexual person that, that, that that's all normal, then you just... Come on, folks. We know our heterosexuality is messed up. Can somebody say yes? I mean, come on. Even heterosexuality is messed up. The way we see our fellow people 
And we were supposed to represent God. So immediately, we go at the image of God. The one thing he said, male and female. You mess that up, everything follows. Because once you've degraded God's image, once you've crossed that Rubicon, once you've stepped over that threshold and attacked the very image of God, the only thing he said about human beings, male and female, everything else is up for grabs. And if you don't believe it, look at this catalog of wickedness. Now this is stunning. We talked about this a lot, but I, I won't go into it too much this morning. Once we start degrading the image of God, we lose who we are and why we were created, what our purpose was to fill the earth with more images of God. Not just by procreation, that's one major way, yes, but also by everything we do, the music that we, our musicians play, the voice that Marcos and Claudia and our other singers have, the, the, the beauty filling the earth with good and with beauty and with wonder and with awe. Humans can do that. We can also do the opposite. Look at this catalog. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, backstabbers, gossip, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful, inventing new ways to sin. How do you like that? Inventing new ways to sin, disobeying parents, refusing to understand, just I'm not going to... I am not going to use my mind here. I'm just going to gut it out. I don't want to believe in God. I don't want to listen to Chuck. He's an idiot. Maybe. But don't tell me. I'd rather be an, an idiot without knowing it. They invent new ways to sin. They disobey parents, refuse to understand, break promises. They are heartless. There's no mercy. They know God's justice requires death, yet they do it anyway. We just shake our fist at him and said, I can do it, and I don't even believe in you, so you must not exist. Really. Okay, this is how dark the mind is. Yet they do it anyway. And worse, here he goes, here he puts it on turbo. And worse, they encourage others to do them. Heartless, no mercy, and encouraging others to do them. Now look, maybe you don't struggle with your sexuality. Maybe you're just a very healthy, a normal person. What we, we call normal, politically incorrect, but normal. You're a normal person, good for you. If you didn't find yourself on the sexuality part, I got news for you. You're in that list somewhere. Yeah, someplace, to some degree. And probably the worst thing about it all is we love to say, I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. I'm not as bad as the transgenders. I'm not as bad as the same-sex attracted. I'm not as bad as the adulterer. I'm not as bad as the murderer. I'm really not a murderer, Chuck. You can't say that I am. 
I am not saying you are. Jesus said you were. If you were angry at someone without a cause, you're guilty of murdering them in your heart. I'm your pastor, and I can tell you I have been mad and I have murdered people in my heart. No joke. I've wished them ill and prayed for their demise. One prayer that God never answers of mine. Here's what it says in Psalm 36. Listen to this. If you don't read the Psalms every day, folks, your, your soul will shrink. Listen to what Psalm 36 says. Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God. In their mind, blind conceit. They cannot see how wicked they really are. Everything they say is crooked, deceitful. They refuse to act wisely or do good. They lie awake at night, hatching sinful plots. Their actions are never good, and they make no attempt to turn from evil. This is a description of humans that are bound in chains of darkness. Chains of darkness. Like Ebenezer Scrooge's partner, Marley, he is bound with chains, and those chains are chains of his own making. He says it himself, I made these, I created them, link by link. Sin is, and death are pitiless, folks. They have no mercy. Satan has no mercy. But God does. We brought the catastrophe. So what does he do? This is what you have to know. For Christmas to mean anything, folks, you've got to go in deep with this. You've got to look at it and say, you know, this is why. The, the cross is not just a sentimental thing that we think, oh, that, isn't that sweet? God loved us. Of course He loves us. We're such good people. No. It is a horror to think that the little one like Leo was born, our Jesus Christ, our King, born, and from the moment of His birth till the day He died on that, that filthy mess of a cross, executed, tortured. His whole life was going there. His whole life was going there, but not just in an empty uh, vacuum. He was going there for you, for us. You can never, I would not advise any of you to listen to this sermon and then look into yourselves and condemn yourselves if you do, you will hate yourself, you'll hate me, you'll hate Dawson, and he hasn't done anything bad. You won't like hearing this. But if you look up, if you just look in, it will crush you. That's why we tend to push these things away from us. But if you look in and you say, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then you look up, what do you see? You see Jesus Christ high and exalted for you. If you look down into the pit of hell, there He is. 
He went to rock bottom. We never go to rock bottom. We get close sometimes, but we don't go all the way. The Christian message is he went all the way to rock bottom so that we wouldn't go there. So somebody could save us and rescue us. Why the God-man? Why do we make so much of this? It sounds like a downer, all this talk about sin and wickedness and all that. I mean, we're good people, right? No? No, we're not that good. Some of us are better than others. Why the God-man? Man put us in this, um, mankind in general, humanity put us there, and it took a man to get us out. God could have just waved his magic wand over us and said, Ollie, ollie, oxen free. Everybody gets to go to heaven. But that would have been unjust. Instead, he says, I will satisfy. Listen to this. I will satisfy with my own son in flesh and blood. I will satisfy both justice fully paid and love fully displayed. I'll do them both. It's going to cost me. But my people, you, my world, is worth it. Get your head around that. That God loves you so much. So let me finish with this. This is one of my favorite quotes from a a magnificent book by John Stott uh, called The Cross of Christ. Uh, where he talks, it's a big, thick book, very wonderful to read, uh, about the cross. Listen to what he says. I could never, this is a great scholar, by the way, he's gone, left us a few years ago. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one that Nietzsche ridiculed as God on the cross. In a real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha. His legs crossed, his arms folded, his eyes closed. The ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look in his face, detached from agony of the world. But each time, after a while, I have to turn away. And in my imagination, I have turned to that lonely twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged into God forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain 
He entered our world of flesh and blood and tears and death. He suffered for us and as us. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood and suffered. Our suffering become more manageable in light of His. There is still, listen, there is still a question mark against human suffering. We don't have all the answers. But over it, we boldly stamp another mark. The cross, which symbolizes divine suffering, the cross of Christ, is God's only self-justification in such a world as ours. There's a lot of reasons to question why the world is the way it is and to be disturbed by it. How we treat one another. How we treat our planet. And we don't have all the answers. Don't think that Christianity does. Nobody has all the answers, by the way. But what we do have that no one else has is something that we can stamp over those questions. The cross of our Savior Jesus. His body, His blood given for us. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, we love You and thank You for Your kindness and mercy that endures forever. We're grateful, Father. We're not like those who give, do not give thanks. We are so thankful that You opened our eyes. We see. We see what's wrong with us. We also see that You are our refuge and our hope. No matter at what stage of life, whether we're like little Leo, just a few weeks old, or whether we're like some of us who are getting old and gray, and we need to know that You loved us and are there for us. So help us, please, Almighty God, Feed us in our hearts by faith. Help us, save us, and have mercy on us. Amen.